Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. Well, today our, our preacher is uh, the Reverend Carol Morell Hartman. And she comes to us from Vancouver. She's a longtime, lifetime Unitarian. And in chatting with her this morning, this sermon is new for her. It's not one she just has in a file that she pulls out. This is something she's working on and actively thinking about. It just came up for her recently, but it's a result of her many years as a hospice nurse, where this psalm people kept asking for. So that's not something that she was going to step over. So she's dived into the 23rd psalm. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not quite as tall as Ken. Just pull that. <laughs> there we go. I thank you for inviting me to be here today, <coughs> and I've looked forward to this since I was invited to come. Um, I need to correct one thing from Ken. I was never a hospice nurse. Chaplain. I was a chaplain. <laughs> My daughter-in-law is a hospice nurse, but. And that's why I'm still involved with hospice, because whenever things are bad with her, she always calls me up. What, what do I do now? So, so that's why hospice has been a big part of my life. I was born a Unitarian Universalist. How many here were? Oh, there's a few in the back. <laughs> Most people come to the UU Church or the UU Fellowship because they've discovered that there's something new and unique here. And there is in this congregation. I was brought up in a very humanist church in Concord, New Hampshire. And um, I'm a product of that Sunday school. My biblical studies and knowledge of the Bible was sketchy at best. I had very little direct exposure to Christian uh, theology or the Bible itself. About all I can remember about the Christian influence in my life was learning a song called Jesus Loves Me at Star Island when I was a very little girl. <laughs> oh, I had Christian friends, and, but they could not explain to me um, who Jesus was or how a mythical person could love them. This was a dilemma for me, but it all seemed very confusing, and I must admit, I rejected and avoided it all. I was fed by my UU church with stories and examples of ethical and moral living without the Christian stories. When I was in my late 30s, I was in New Haven, Connecticut, as my husband at the time 
was accepted at Yale Divinity School. Because I was continually helping him with his homework, I decided I could go there too. <laughs> uh, Yale was founded back in the 1800s to train young men in the Christian ministry. Think I fit? <laughs> well, it was, it was established because Harvard was much too liberal. <laughs> a divinity school offers, um, it's, it's different than a seminary because it's an eclectic ecumenical experience where a seminary is where one studies religious tenets and dogma of a particular denomination. So this was a very ecumenical <coughs> time, very open kind of time too. What Unitarians were invited there. There were seven of us when I entered <coughs> school. We were, we were um, invited there because the Catholics had decided to open up the, um, the, the schools and some of the other positions to lay Catholics, particularly schools. And so they were attracting them to come to the Divinity School. Catholics didn't usually come, they usually went to their, their own um, seminaries. So this was a very interesting balance. I had very good friends who were Catholic and the Unitarians, the rest of them ignored us. So <laughs> I didn't know what to do with us. So we spent a lot of time together, it was lovely, it was lovely. And um, that was my sort of exposure to a lot. All through my years at Yale, I spent my time truly defining myself negatively. I don't believe that. That makes no sense. Where is the message of Jesus and the Gospels in this whole madness that they're trying to teach me? The other thing that, that, that bothered me was how did they mix up the New Testament and the Old Testament, which were written so many years apart? How did, they, how did they bring that together? Never learned, but anyway, that was one of the questions. My second year, I did have a professor by the name of Letty Russell. Letty was, um, and I was also her, her she, for some reason she chose me as her teaching assistant. <laughs> and it always baffles me. The f she had me write three papers. The first paper I was to write was on salvation. Um, feeling woefully um, inadequate and not having the concept of my life, I wrestled with the paper and ended up writing about the environment. <laughs> she was lovely. She took the paper. The next paper, the next one, was on what it means to be saved. Well, that paper came out to be one about paying attention and claiming how did I need to be saved when I didn't think I was lost. <laughs> Gentlewoman that she was, she took that paper too. Now the third one was who was Jesus? Um, this one had me looking closely at the story of who was Jesus and writing about the lessons without making him magic, but making him human so that I could relate. That was probably one of the most important papers I've ever read. 
a lot, I've since developed many sermons on making Jesus human. Along with the required courses in the Old Testament, I was in deep, I was clueless, and well over my head. I had a husband at the time who was struggling with as a Vietnam vet. Yeah, we, we divorced, obviously. <laughs> I had four children, ages five to two, a house to maintain, and a job. It was then I became conscious that I was praying and praying a lot. Praying to make it through the day, to be able to do it all, and to comprehend what I was being exposed to at the Divinity School. As I look back, I wonder who I was praying to. It was not Jesus, and my concept of God was pretty fuzzy. Since then, there have been many times prayer has been a part of my life. I'm not always sure who was being prayed to, but it seemed not to matter. There were prayers of gratitude, requests for guidance, and requests for knowledge and strength and just to make it through the day. When I became a hospice chaplain, prayer became a daily experience. As at the bedside <coughs> of those who were dying, or at the memorial services that I was conducting <coughs> for them, prayer was asked for. Through the 16 years as a chaplain, the most often prayer or passage was asked for was the 23rd Psalm. Patient and family could be any denomination of Protestant. They could be Catholic, Jewish, non-denominational, all asked for the 23rd Psalm. <coughs> I spent many years reciting it, obviously. Many times I rewrote it, creating new renditions to help make sense to those requesting it. It was not until I decided to create this sermon some 38 years after I became a Unitarian Universalist minister that I did some serious research and much thinking and contemplation on the words and meaning. I read much on the internet and many books in my library. The most interesting and thought-provoking book I read was by a well-known and very Christian author Philip Keller. Mr. Keller was a sheep herder in East Africa for many years and later in the Rocky Mountains in British Columbia. He looked at each passage of the psalm from the viewpoint of a sheep and a sheep herder, then added to the passages lessons in Christian theology. Well, I was most interested in how he looked at the psalm from the perspective of one who had actually tended the sheep. To me, that gave him great um, authenticity in what he spoke about. The psalm was written at least a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. At the time, 
the sh sheep herding was a major occupation of the nomadic peoples. <coughs> it is stated that David, to whom the psalm is attributed, was a sheep herder himself. He knew the ways of sheep and what was needed to be a shepherd who had a flock that thrived. He knew the rhythms of the year, so critical to the sheep, and what happened with the sheep during each season. He also knew how to protect them. The poem begins with a statement of David's faith, and although he was a shepherd himself, there was a grander, more wise shepherd who knew and understood him and his needs, who understood the ways of shepherding and the behavior and needs of sheep. And most importantly, this great shepherd loved him and wanted him to be successful and prosperous. David's belief was that this grand shepherd, the Lord, wanted him and his flock to thrive and flourish and prosper. David writes this psalm in the voice of the sheep who depend upon the shepherd and had great admiration for him. Now let me digress for a minute here. We as you use have a problem identifying as sheep. <laughs> um, sheep and the flock are often used in Christian talks and writing. It gives the image of dependence and mindless following. Sheep are not dumb, but they do sometimes make wrong choices. We, as you use, are consider ourselves a stronghold a strong hold of universe let me start again. <laughs> we consider ourselves a whole a stronghold of individualism and questioning leaders of all kinds. We do not follow easily or blindly. Identifying as sheep is a challenge to us. Yet, if we understand that sheep are led by a shepherd who is at the head of the flock, the, sheep, the shepherd must be knowledgeable to provide what is needed and be accountable to provide it for the sheep or the sheep do not follow or thrive. Looking at this image of sheep is much more palatable for us. So combined in this psalm, is much language and ideas about the work, the skill, and the knowledge a, must, a shepherd must have to successfully attend to the flock. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David knew he wanted to be a shepherd, and he wanted nothing more than to be the best shepherd he could be to please himself and the Lord. He also knew that for sheep to be confident in him, he needed to lead them with wisdom, kindness, constant care, and guidance. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. 
To be a good shepherd, he needed to maintain his fields so that they would give the greenest, most nutritious grass for his sheep, and they would be content and well-fed. Content and well-fed sheep lie down, rest, and grow. Hungry sheep are restless and not at all content. They do not lie down, then get rest, stay healthy, or thrive. He leads me beside still waters. Thirsty sheep do not discriminate between dirty, parasite-filled water and clean water. It is the shepherd's job to know what and where the hazards are. He needs to be aware of the pitfalls his sheep may encounter and lead them to safe water. Also in the Middle East and elsewhere, there can be flash floods that could endanger the flock. So the shepherd has to be watchful of the weather and make sure his flock is on high ground away from danger during storms. He restoreth my soul. Often in the height of distress, exhaustion, confusion, and restlessness, one feels cast down, dejected, and the world literally upside down. The term to be cast down is a term in sheep herding. When a sheep is cast down, it means it's fallen over and not, and if not rescued and set upright by the shepherd, the sheep will die. The attentive shepherd watches for cast down sheep, sets them upright again, over and over. Some, some fall over many times until they either figure out how not to tip over or they succumb. He leads me in straight paths for his namesake. Evidently, sheep create paths. They like to travel in the pasture. They're known as creatures of habit. Now, if they travel these paths too much, paths, I'll say without a New England accent, paths. <laughs> if they travel them too much and they get ruddy and have pitfalls, it is up to the shepherd to redirect the sheep. He must keep them moving in a direction that is healthy and productive for the sheep and himself as a shepherd. The shepherd knows the laws of nature and the ways of the sheep and what must be done for the flock to thrive. He wants his efforts to please the Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this has been an interesting one for me to learn about because it's not at all the way I interpreted it when I was a hospice chaplain. In the spring, the shepherd brings his flocks to the high mountains where he and the flock will stay until the beginning of winter. This place is where the grass is lush and the weather much cooler. On the way, 
to the mountain top. The shepherd brings the flock through very dangerous valleys where the sun is blocked and there are many shadows where dangers could be. There could be predators waiting and the terrain could be steep and rocky and very dangerous footing for the sheep. But to get to the summer pastures, the valley must be traveled. I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. The shepherd knows that the Lord cannot change what he will encounter in these valleys. He knows he must be diligent, courageous, watchful, and not fearful or timid. He is confident because he knows the Lord is with him and wants him to succeed. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Each shepherd has his tools that protect him and his flock. In David's time, each shepherd had a rod, which is a pole with a knob on the end. The shepherd designs this and creates it himself. The shepherd became, became very skillful at throwing this rod with great accuracy and power at any predator. The shepherd also had a long pole with a hook on the end, and he used that to bring sheep that were kind of drifting away back to the flock. He also skillfully used this hook to, to bring baby lambs, to lift baby lambs and bring them back to their mothers. Now, if a human being touches a baby lamb, the mother will reject it. So he used this hook to not touch the baby lambs, but to bring them back to their mothers. So great was the skill. He used the crook of his staff. <coughs> These tools bring comfort to both the shepherd and the sheep, knowing that they will be used in challenging situations to provide safety. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This was another passage I learned a lot. The plateau, the mountain top meadow, often called a mesa or a table, was where the shepherd and the flock will spend the summer. It is called a table because it's a flat meadow high in, high in the mountains. The shepherd states that because the Lord wants his flock to flourish, the table has been prepared with lush, wonderful grass for the flock. However, other creatures have been invited there also. Many are dangerous to the flock and will see them as prey. Now the shepherd must be ever watchful and protect the sheep and himself as these predators, cougars, mountain lions, snakes, stray dogs, and other predators are always looking for an opportunity to acquire a meal. 
with great opportunity, watchfulness is needed. Thou anoints my head with oil. In the summer, at the mountain plateau, the table, there are many insects. Many are particularly attracted to the head and the nose of the sheep. These insects can distract and bother a sheep so much that they will not graze, are not content, endanger themselves, and do not thrive. <coughs> now a good shepherd puts a special mixture of tar and oils and herbs on the sheep's head to discourage the insects. My cup runneth over. The joy and the relief of the oil the shepherd thoughtfully applies makes the sheep joyful and content. Surely goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This last line is a hymn of praise and gratitude for the good, diligent care the sheep feel from a good shepherd. It is easy to see how these passages can be used in any religious lesson building. Each passage has thought-provoking images and can be used for lessons in human nature and behavior, as well as relationships with the divine. It is what makes this psalm so universal. There are so many lessons from this psalm that we as you use can all relate to. We all relate to having our needs met. Many needs are met by our own doing, being diligent and grateful in hard work. But often those needs are met by others. Good parents meet our needs for nutritious foods, clean water, and protection from dangers. Later we need teachers and others to lead us to guide us and direct us with knowledge, kindness, and skill. As we grow to living in community, as adults we seek leaders who are knowledgeable, skilled, accountable, and trustworthy. Each stage of our lives, we seek a good shepherd substitute to guide us for we are well aware of the dangers, the temptations, the pitfalls and shadows we may encounter. Many us look to the spirit of life, the divine known by many names, as a guide, and offer prayers of gratitude for the tender love we seek and find individually and in community. That way, we are grateful for all the goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. Now this talk today is just touching the surface, surface of this well-known sign. It requires more study from me and taking the lessons of a human life from each passage but that's for another time. 
as I told Ken earlier, this is a beginning of a long path, uh, path that I will travel as I take each piece and look at it, expand it, and look at it. As a you, you, looking at the 23rd Psalm, I can see I have much cut out for me as I explore and expand the meanings and beauty of this passage. As I celebrate the workings of the Good Shepherd in my life and in the lives of others. So be it. Let us get comfortable and let the contentment of the blessings of our lives come to us. Please close our eyes for meditation time. Spirit of life, help us to take a fresh look at every part of our lives. When we look deeply, we discover that there can be hidden guidance that we need, and it is right there before us. The Good Shepherd comes to us, giving us a nudge here and there, opening our hearts and eyes to see more clearly. We are urged to understand that we need not and should not think of going it alone. For we are not alone. The Good Shepherd awaits. We are in community here. We celebrate that and we welcome that. Let's take a few minutes of silence to meditate on what we've heard. 